This is the Changemaker Forum Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Changemaker Forum Podcast. My name is Jeremy Brown, founder of Startups Give Back and your host for today's episode. My two guests here for today are Joe Graves and Dan Rabano from Groundswell. They are the co-founders of Groundswell. And their company is tackling a very big problem in the nonprofit sector, and that is the lack of sustainable funding. So many nonprofits close up operations simply because they don't have the capital to scale their operations, to scale their programs or initiatives. And these are nonprofits that are tackling some really big problems. So things need to change. And luckily, we have companies like Groundswell that are trying to disrupt this whole issue and trying to change the game. And they're doing so in a way that's very unique. And they're leveraging something that a lot of people use on a daily basis to create essentially a new revenue stream for nonprofits. And it's very, very exciting. So I don't want to spoil all the good stuff. So in order to hear exactly what Groundswell is doing, sit back, buckle up, and enjoy this episode. Joe, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. to be here. Before we get into Groundswell, which is the the meat of this podcast, uh, what I would like to do is to go back in time prior to Groundswell and to get an idea of uh, both of your backgrounds uh, before actually starting the the company. So let's start off with uh, Joe. Uh, can you give us a little background about who you are and you know how, how I got to the point of starting Groundswell? Sure. Yeah. The, the meaningful part of that, I think, is probably spent 12 years as an investment advisor. And uh, towards the end of that, started feeling like uh, economically, at least, I was, I was part of the system that was causing some of the problems that we uh, were experiencing. So that sort of led me on a journey out of that system and into exploring some other things that could be done to be uh, more productive and, and more, let's say, uh, contributing to the system instead of exploiting it. Um, and through the course of uh, different jobs, picked up some skills, and then ultimately, uh, through training, met Dan, which is uh, how I ended up getting involved in Groundswell and uh, doing what we're doing today. Awesome. Dan, over to you. Yes. Well, my road has uh, been varied, uh, my path getting here. Uh, my background's medicine and uh, spent quite a bit of time practicing, but pretty much disappointed with the direction uh, healthcare was going in and actually, actually left to, to Central America to build a wellness resort. And my wife and I built one down in the country of Nicaragua. And when we got back in 2011, you know, the landscape in the U S was very different and, uh, watching, um, Small companies that we knew and loved were just it weren't got, weren't there anymore. They they didn't exist any anymore. So we got busy investigating into um, financial institutions uh, that potentially could uh, create a pathway, and we were led to pre, the prepaid industry, which ultimately is the vehicle we use to. Uh, help nonprofits brand their own card and they utilize our bank identification and visa license to do so. 
So one question that I like to ask uh, the uh, folks I interview on the podcast um, is this one. As it relates to your work with Groundswell, what is one problem in the world that you believe is worth solving and why? Well, for us, you know, looking at uh, nonprofits in general, uh, they're chronically underfunded. And we realize that they've done all the hard work to create the loyal uh, customer or, or supporter base. So the one problem is not one problem. It's all the issues that nonprofits try to solve or manage for all of us. So providing them a mechanism to fund uh, what they passionately support is really the one problem we solve for. Yeah, I think we like to refer to that as restorative economics. If you think about uh, how we spend our money and, and that's in a way voting for things, right? Like what we buy, what we do, where we spend our money is either endorsing one thing or another. And so to the extent that um, you know, that problem is worth solving. How can we align economics and our values or a lot of these, you know, things that are starting to crop up in society today? It's like these organizations, uh, nonprofits in particular, but not exclusively nonprofits, they're doing things we need them to do, right? Like they're solving problems. They're the, oftentimes the only uh, people in the gap standing between, you know, destruction, death, whatever, um, and yet they're chronically underfunded. And yet on the other side of the spectrum, coming from finance, coming from, you know, Western medicine, you see this absolute swell of capital and money and excess, right? And it's largely exploitive in a lot of cases. So it seems like somewhere in the middle is probably more healthy uh, from, as an ecosystem. How can we have money and values be symbiotic and not, not so destructive? So I was at an event uh about a week ago, and the topic was the future of social impact. And uh, during the Q and A portion of the uh, the talk, there were several nonprofit professionals, um, from executives, you know, to to lower than that, uh, that essentially said the same thing um, in terms of um, the funding issue. That there there is an absolute issue uh, with fundraising. Um, as you mentioned, uh, nonprofits are chronically underfunded, uh, which gets me into groundswell. So what is Groundswell and how does it work? Yeah, well, simply put, uh, we allow people to, quote unquote, purchase with purpose. Now, the form factor that takes right now, like Dan said, is a, a debit card and mobile app that uh, allows you to support a cause that you care about. So, for example, if um, you like the Sierra Club or Boys and Girls Club, and that's an organization or a cause that you support, uh, we partner with that organization and uh, you get your card through them. It's got their logos, their branding. Uh, we try to make cards look beautiful. We believe, you know, beautiful things are easier to use. So um, when you buy things, it could be gas, it could be groceries, it could be Amazon, it could be your Starbucks. What we're doing is taking a percentage of the fee that the merchant or the business has to pay to accept the card. So it, it doesn't cost you as a consumer anything and redirecting that back to uh, these organizations. So from a nonprofit perspective, how does that process work for them? Let's say that they want to get a, a groundswell card of their, their own to distribute to their donor base. Uh, what's the process for them to go through that? Yeah, that's a good question. And it, it kind of speaks to part of the reason we organize as a social purpose corp. Uh, we have to be sustainable, so we're for profit. But what that does is give us some flexibility in how we interact with 
these organizations. So what we've done is try to remove as much friction as possible from them saying yes. What we didn't want to do is come up with an economic model that, hey, we, we need you guys to pay X or Y up front, and then we can build you a program. So what we do is, is we have some screens on our side to make sure that we're in alignment and that they're actually making the world a better place. Uh, and then through a, a process of due diligence, we pass some banking and regulatory hurdles. And then from there, really, what we need them to contribute is a, a little bit of time to make sure we understand their messaging, uh, some resources to just get us some things like logos and, and maybe past email templates. And our creative team tries to build out uh, the platform, really, the messaging platform that's going to go through back to their customers so that Ultimately, it should look and feel like it's coming from their organizations because, again, being uh, chronically underfunded, they're also resource constrained. So we don't want to tax an already taxed system. So we try to do all that on our end, do the heavy lifting, give them, um, you know, I want to say approval status. So we don't want to push anything out there that's going to jeopardize their message or be off brand. So they have final approval on it. And then from there, we manage the program on the back end to make sure that the service is being taken care of. So really all they have to do is get a hold of us. And then we just have a very simple process of deciding, hey, should we work together? And if so, we're going to do everything we can to make the program a success. So on the back end, is there anything in terms of analytics or just metrics that nonprofits have access to? Yeah. So as you can imagine, there's lots of data that flows in the background um, and we will share that with them. And ultimately, again, going back to our mission uh, is to sustainably fund organizations that are making the world a better place. That gives us a broad purview. So not only do we want to generate revenue for them, but if there's analytic information, data information, and don't forget, as we roll out more programs, we're going to get better and more competent at rolling out these programs. So again, We'll be able to share best practices. Uh, we can go back and refine campaigns. Uh, so the short answer is yes, there will be data and there is data. And we think that over time we can help um, perhaps then be even organizationally more efficient. So it, that's not a direct uh, contribution on our part, but if we can save them money or uh, make them more effective, even a little bit at what they do through our data, then that's something we're happy to do. And before we started the podcast, you had mentioned um, that you guys released your your cards. Um, is that something you're okay with talking about publicly, or is that still uh, kind of private? <laughs> no, 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 not not at all. Today was uh, a groundbreaking day for us. We were live in market. Uh, Joe had mentioned earlier that we went live to you before the podcast about a month ago with our groundswell card, but that is not our focus. Our focus is we were testing with our card, uh, but we did launch our first nonprofit this morning at 9.03 Pacific time. And what that involves is a series of emails, but the process has started, our system is in place, and three and a half years of work is, come to this one moment. So it, it feels great. Yeah. Well, I hope you guys poured a bottle of champagne for yourselves or glasses of champagne for yourselves. No, unfortunately we had our <laughs> annual shareholders meeting scheduled uh, at 10 this morning. <laughs> and went straight into that. Uh, but that went quite well. Uh, everyone was very excited about this moment and uh, we had plenty of time and and excited to be on this podcast. You know, it's it's now broadcasting out to the 
to through channels, channels like podcasts like you and friends and family and anyone who wants to hear about what we're doing. We're very dedicated to what our mission is. And um, we have great support and more and more wonderful people are coming out of the woodwork wanting to jump aboard and and be a part of it. Yeah. And we'd be happy to share. It's uh, lifeafterhate.org is the organization we, we partner with for this first one. So as you can imagine, this day and age, a uh, lot of turmoil and uh, they're trying to bridge the gap and uh, compassion and peace, man. So it's, it's a good one to, to go with. Well, I'm excited for you guys because when I first came across Groundswell, I believe you were doing your crowdfunding campaign and um, just talking to social entrepreneurs and being in this nonprofit space, the thing that I hear a lot about is the lack of funding. And so, you know, when I, when I came across your campaign and, and dug into uh, your mission and what you're trying to do, I got super excited, which is the original reason why I reached out. So I'm, I'm so happy for you guys. I'm, I'm, it's super exciting times. Mm, Thanks, man. Thank you. So let's take a step back. Um, and what I would be curious to hear more of, um, since you have been doing this for three years, um, is what are some of the lessons that you've learned building Groundswell to the present day? Mm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Costs more Test. and takes longer. <laughs> Test assumptions, <laughs> uh, lots of stuff. But you know, you expect all that to be part of the startup process and uh, you're constantly iterating. You're small, so you can do that. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, you look back a couple of years and you think, oh, this can't be that difficult to do. You know, surely, the, this, we didn't really innovate in terms of the economic model, so it existed. But when you start putting all these pieces together, um, would have never imagined that we would be in July of 2018, finally mm -hmm. getting out of the gate. We, we probably would have forecast July of 17, but um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's taken a lot longer than we thought. So, yeah. So forecast accordingly. Is there anything you would do differently if you had to do it all over again, starting from, from scratch? Oh, geez. Well, you'd like to say yes, but honestly, all that knowledge that you accumulate during the process prepares you for what's coming. And it's quite obvious now where we stand because we could have launched a year ago. Uh, and but it was not with uh, the right mixture of partners and people and where we stand right now, I believe we can accelerate much faster and begin to have the effect that, um, you know, drives us you know, our mission. Yeah, we, we we're deliver a far better product. And I think I'm going to butcher it. So I'm just going to send everybody to, to Derek Seaver's blog post, but it's a uh, a post about the parable of horses or something. And basically what it says is things that seem bad can often turn out to be good and things that seem good can turn out to be bad. So for your, your own mental health, it's good to try to maintain an even keel when, when it's really great, uh, you know, this too shall pass. And when it seems like it's darkest, that often has led to some of our greatest insights and uh, made us that much better. Well said. I believe it was Dan that mentioned uh, Groundswell as a social purpose corporation. Uh, so for the, for those listening who may not be familiar with that structure, uh, can you explain what that is and the process you went through to actually become an SPC? Yes. Uh, we initially looked into B-Lab, and what B-Lab does is give a B certification 
that you've developed your company in a way that does not just focus on the bottom line, which is for most companies, corporations, it's profit above all else. Uh, you would focus in a B certified corp or a social purpose corp, a designation in Washington is uh, something that they set up. And there are quite a few states that have something similar to a social purpose corp, the SPC that, that we currently operate under. But with, uh, with the opportunity for all companies to become B certified, basically you write into your DNA of the company, the bylaws, the, um, uh, the guiding documents that you might make decisions like share more profit, not that you have to with the nonprofit because the mission that they are focused on, that they are solving for is just important for all of us as, as the human family. So, um, we're in process of becoming B certified as well. Even though, even though currently we're a social purpose corporation in the state of Washington. Yeah, it's really about just measuring value in a different way. And for a long time, corporations have measured value or return on investment only along the, the continuum of profit, right? And uh, I think what you're seeing today is the pendulum swinging the other way and saying, okay, profit's great, but what if it destroys communities or ecosystems or countries or whatever it is? So how can we measure that in a different way? And, and obviously, people have been thinking about this for a long time. But like Dan said, the, the, the B-Labs really started the movement of providing what was at the time just a certification. Uh, but our state, Washington, has um, a, a designation for that. So really, it wasn't any more difficult other than just making the commitment. When you, when you check the boxes to form as a, a corporation, um, becoming a social purpose one. And obviously that comes with, uh, you know, certain values and things you have to commit to. But uh, for us, it was a, almost a no brainer, right? Like we wanted to make sure we were doing this anyway. So why not publicly align our values and what we're doing, like Dan said, in the DNA of our organization. What are you most proud of when it comes to Groundswell? What we'll, what we'll do 10 years from now, I mean, hopefully, right? Like if the, the people, you know what, in the current, mm -hmm. I would say for me, the people that we're meeting are, are phenomenal. It seems like there is a, a latent desire for something a little different than what we're doing economically and for these organizations and just in general. And so that's introducing, heck, to people like you, right? Like had we not done this, we would have never met Jeremy Brown. And, and the list of Jeremy Browns is, is, mm -hmm. is long. Like, yeah. so- you know, given that we just launched, I think the thing that I would be most proud of is just the people that we're getting to meet, the ideas we're beginning to share and uh, the potential of what we could yeah. uh, accomplish. Yeah, I, I, the, uh, I'd leave it at potential. It's, it, it feels limitless at this point. Uh, and, uh, and we're not alone at trying to solve these problems. I'm blown away at how many people are dedicated to this cause of making the world a better place. So. And just for the record, I didn't pay Joe to mention my name. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> so taking a step back, um, looking at social entrepreneurship, what advice would you give somebody who 
um, is interested in starting a social enterprise or just entering that space in general based off of your own experiences? Mm, passion, you know, <laughs> it takes, it, there's a lot of work there. And it's, uh, uh, if you're truly passionate about something, it, you're going to need every bit of that to get you through the hard times. So, yeah, it, follow your dreams, man. Don't do the wrong thing. That's a waste of time. Uh, something that you're not passionate about. Don't worry about the economics. Yeah. Well, and I think really the question, like advice for a social entrepreneur, do, do we really want anti-social entrepreneurs? And I don't mean that in the sense that they're anti-public, but do we really want to continue doing things that we wouldn't consider to be for the greater good? Um, I think that's part of what we're facing as a society is just because we can do something doesn't mean we should just because we can, you know, pollute the ocean and deforest things and, and uh, destroy economies uh, and communities doesn't mean we should do it. So I would say for any entrepreneur, like think about what you're doing and the impact of it, because it's not just the money. And I think if you, are around entrepreneurship enough, you'll listen to enough founders that, you know, the money was an outcome of doing something else well. So just be careful what you spend your time on because you could find yourself with a financial success that really comes at the expense of stuff that really matters. So one question I wanted to ask, um, and I've been meaning to ask you, um, is about the crowdfunding process that you went through. I think it was, was it on WeFunder? Yep. What was that process like? Because I personally have never gone through a crowdfunding um, I've done a, a crowdfunding campaign, but I feel like it's picking up steam in terms of people actually using that, that type of medium to raise funds. And I'm wondering if you can ex kind of share uh, what that process is like. Yeah. Uh, so the process is getting better and it's, it's uh, I think as a conduit or path to getting non-traditional capital, it's hugely helpful, right? Like if you just have to rely on typical banks or, or, venture funding or angels, especially with a, a mission-minded organization where profit is not seeking to be maximized, there's got to be alternative ways to raise capital. The thing that I, I would say is that it's not a magic bullet, right? Especially if you don't have customers. I think if you have customers and a, and a wide body of them and you need to raise capital, it's a really good way to go. Uh, if you don't, then you got a lot of legwork to do because it is a lot of communication. It's a lot of posting. It's, it's a lot of legwork. Um, I've run a Kickstarter campaign and we did WeFunder and we did not do as well on WeFunder as, as we would have thought. And we, we just needed more uh, time to dedicate to the platform. We were kind of trying to do too much at once and, and you need an audience. And we were just getting off the ground when we launched it. So if, if you have an audience or you have the ability to create an audience, and you have the time to commit to cultivate it, I think it's a, a great um, resource, but it's not a magic bullet. There's still a lot of work to be done. I don't know what you... Yeah, we, we love this idea that opportunities such as companies like, like ours are open to Main Street, you know, people who don't aren't qualified investors. So we just love the fact that this is set up for anybody and everybody to get involved. And we think that's the right direction. So it's only been a year and a half since Reg CF, regulation crowdfunding was passed. So I think it's in its infancy and, and lots to come, and, but, it, but it's the right 
direction. In terms of the duration of the campaign, how long did it last? Or is there is there a fixed uh, kind of duration? Or do you have flexibility in terms of maybe you want to do a six-month campaign or a seven-month campaign? Yeah, I, I know six. there's flexibility. Ours went about six months, but I think that might even be platform to platform. Some of the hard and fast rules that we encountered that might be useful is uh, there were some specific regulations around how much you raise. So if you were trying to raise over... Uh, I think it was $100,000. We had to have uh, not audited financials by GAP, but uh, commented financials. And then uh, unless the rules have changed, you can only raise a million dollars in any calendar year. So those are the kind of hard and fast rules. But I don't know that there was anything other than from a platform level of how long you could have your campaign open. So in terms of a crowdfunding uh, platforms, I know there's several. There's obviously WeFunder, there's Republic.co, and then also Seed Invest. Uh, I think Indiegogo has one as well. What made you decide to use WeFunder? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I believe they're, the percentage they take is less than, on WeFunder, is less than some of the other platforms. Uh, upfront costs. Uh, initially, they were very helpful in uh, helping us get to market with it. And uh, I think in general, we like, you know, we like the guys who are behind it. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it is highly subjective in some ways, because it was so nascent in, in getting going. I know that they we worked with Dylan a lot and uh, I'm going to escape the, the founder's name, but they had done a lot of work behind the scenes. Uh, really it came down to population size too, at the time uh, when we did it, as I recall, WeFunder had the largest number of people on their platform. Uh, so we were thinking that, okay, the broadest audience, this, this would be the, the best place to start. Uh, I don't know if that made a difference or not, but um, I, I would bet that there's even more now. I, in terms of platforms or, or places or ways you can go uh, to raise capital through the system. I, yeah, I feel like there there's more popping up, seems like every month. Um, there's, and the thing is, it's not, I mean, you have the WeFunders and the Seed Invest where it's, you know, broad companies, but then there's also platforms where it's very niche-based. For example, if you're a energy uh, startup or someone who has an energy-related idea, you can use this platform to raise money. So it's, I find crowdfunding super interesting and, and growing exponentially. Yeah. Well, and you can, I mean, there's a lot of rules that can be violated. I, it was Nick, that's his name, the, mm. the co-founder of WeFunder. As I recall, he was involved like in DC helping write yeah. some of the crowdfunding laws. So for us, that gave us a little bit of comfort that we weren't going to inadvertently violate some law that was sort of ambiguous about how we were doing what we we're doing. But certainly, um, yeah, it, that would be part of the decision-making process. If you're an energy company and there is an energy uh, crowdfunding platform, those are the types of nuanced decision-making that that might make perfect sense uh, in choosing one over the other. Would you consider doing a second campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, part, again, if you think back to like democratizing and bringing health to the economic system, uh, one of the challenges that you face in investing is that the fattest part of the growth is at the beginning of an organization, right? Like the, the Microsoft in 19, whatever, whether they went public in 86, 
how could you have been an investor in Microsoft in the, the early 80s when they were just working out of the garage? Well, right now, prior to crowdfunding, you couldn't, right? You have to be an accredited investor. So there, there's no path for people, um, blue collar or otherwise, that aren't accredited to capture the greatest part of the return. So absolutely, we would do crowdfunding. We, uh, you know, we might do a different campaign style or in a different way, but we, we really want to democratize not just um, our earnings, but that of our investors as well. So safe to say when it comes to crowdfunding versus your traditional VC, you lean more towards the crowdfunding. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, but I, you, you need both, right? Like there's a, there's a time and a place. If you got friends that are willing to fund you, that's not a bad way to go. Yeah, you know, as far as a social impact company, though, I'm not entirely sure the VCs, unless you're hitting, yeah, hitting all the the metrics that they're looking at. And so we we didn't, we haven't really engaged well, or you know, received the kind of response that you would want from a VC. Yeah, uh, we don't believe that, you know, in general that. It will play out in their favor. We love what we're doing and we love what, you know, the, the numbers behind it and what it will do for our investors. So for us, we're really happy that so far we haven't used any VC money. Yeah. Well, and you have to look at objectives, right? Like are your objectives aligned if you take that institutional investment? So do you want to have a liquidity event and sell your company or do you love your mission and want to continue in perpetuity? That like that model does not fit very well within the existing typical investing uh, VC infrastructure, right? They need, they have their funds that they're raising seven years, they're going to do liquidity events. So do you want to have to be forced to sell or do something so that you can provide capital to your early investors? So those are, you know, getting money is great. It's necessary. It's, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to survive, but those would be considerations that when other entrepreneurs are, you know, getting into this fundraising, they have to think about like get some advice from people you trust, but just know that what is that system sort of wired to do, and does that align with your vision of the future of your company? And like like we said before, crowdfunding fits that. I think mm-hmm. in in most cases, and at least in our purview, there's there's probably a path with it, and it would be our our preference. So getting back to Groundswell, so where do you go from here? So now that you've launched with an organization, uh, is there anything in the pipeline that you're you're um, you're okay with sharing publicly? Um, what is it that you want people to know um, about the company and what's coming up next? Yeah, lots going on there. You know, we've been setting this up for the last three years, and the whole time we've been marketing. So we have a funnel full of NPOs in, at various stages of uh, in the process. So, and currently we have five slated right after this. The next one is actually LEAD, L-E-A-D. It's part of a leadership program uh, that works with universities to help the marginalized, the underserved have uh, great possibilities uh, within the educational systems, meaning uh, opportunities they wouldn't otherwise have. And they've been around for about 35, 40 years, and they've had 100% matriculation with their their program to date. 
and we're talking tens of thousands of kids going through. We had the opportunity of meeting them. So, and that's just the beginning. We're, we're, uh, you know, hopefully by the end of this year, we'll, we'll have 10 or 12 organizations launched and then hoping to accelerate. There's a million and a half nonprofits in the U.S. alone and um, lots of need to be filled. Yeah, so I'd say as your listeners hear this, if, if they have a nonprofit or know of a nonprofit with an active and engaged supporter base, meaning they, they care about it passionately and want to do more or would like to see if they could do more to, to give us a call. And, uh, you know, let's see if we can help them. Yeah, you read my mind. That was actually my next question is how can nonprofits actually get involved? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, groundswellworld.com or groundswellcard.com and and uh, ping us. And, you know, we got a couple people that manage our partnerships, we like to call them. We don't have customers, we got partners. And uh, we'll start working on it. Like, if you're thinking about it, that, that would be really the criteria. Like, size-wise right now, we're pretty flexible. We know that a lot of the smaller organizations are resource constrained. Can you move fast? Like we're a startup too. We're moving fast. We're, we're breaking things as the saying goes. And uh, can you move fast? And, and do you have people that really passionately care about what you're doing? Uh, then there's probably a program we can put together. What's the time frame for getting a card up and running? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. No, it really depends on the organization, what kind of time they put into it with us, but we can have a program stood up in two to three months. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the, the biggest delay in that is getting approvals from banks and visa for the program. Getting um, the info. Yeah. Getting the info, getting through due diligence. So that isn't a, a long grind, like the actual work part, you could probably compress into four weeks or something, but it gets parsed out because of, we got to get approvals. We got to wait for approvals. We got to get revisions, but I think that's safe. Like 60 to 90 days is probably from beginning to end a, a, a conservative timeline. Yeah. Have you had any pushback from banks? Um, Cause I know, you know, obviously um, where they make a lot of their money is from fees from debit cards and other credit cards being used and groundswell is routing those fees to nonprofits. Has there been any pushback from the banks that you've uh, reached out to or have worked with or anything like that? Yeah, no, we're, you know, we're just starting out here and no one really knows what groundswell is. We imagine that will change. It actually came up oh, yeah. in our, uh, in our shareholder meeting today. Uh, but you know, our attitude about that is, you know, competition or well, a couple things here, you know, we like the crowdfunding platform because we, we want a mountain of people to own this and mountains don't move easily. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is, yeah, you know, the regulation kind of uh, Dodd-Frank and Durban Act kind of keep uh, the large banks and financial institutions out of this playing field. So um, to a certain extent, uh, you know, if the regulations change, we'll see. Uh, but uh, currently we're kind of protected under, uh, under the current law of the land. Yeah, well, and frankly, too, again, if you think to our mission, if a bunch of banks want to get in and, and start sharing a considerable portion of their revenue, yeah, you're just our mission is to accomplish that. So they're just helping. And like Dad said before, there's, you know, there's a huge market of people and organizations out there that we, 
you know, we're going to be a long way off from being able to service them all. But in general, like, like Dan said, we're insignificant right now for, for the banking industry, but hopefully we can do a little guerrilla warfare in the future and, and surprise them. Yeah. And really we need help, you know, so a uh, million and a half nonprofits uh, is not something a large company can even uh, manage. So huge opportunity. And, and we did have to have a partner bank. So it's not all adversarial. You have to have somebody that has access to the, uh, the uh, you know, Federal Reserve System that has the accounting, that, that does the FDIC insurance. So we just found one that is a great partner and they're flexible and they're entrepreneurial. And they got behind our mission, even though, you know, on paper doing this thing we're doing sounds kind of crazy. Uh, they were willing to take a chance on us. So you mentioned that you needed help, um, you know, with your with the mission and you know and whatnot. Uh, I was wondering, have you uh, tapped into the investors at all from your crowdfunding campaign, in terms of of um, seeing if there are maybe any connections with nonprofits through them? A little bit. We re- actually, when when we went public with that, your story of that's how you found out about us. We I don't say we got buried in calls, but the call volume picked up significantly. We went public with. Uh, crowdfunding. I think a lot of the people that contacted us were similar to you, either through an organization or knew of an organization. So yes, we have received some uh, suggestions, referrals, and outreach as a result of uh, both WeFunder and really just anytime we get out there in public, finding people that, you know, they need money. So <laughs> if you have an opportunity for it, it, it tends to be a pretty good match when we get to co- get to talking. Last question for you. Uh, where can people learn more about both of you um, as well as Groundswell? That's a great I, I think, yeah, I think we have uh, little bios on us on our website. So the groundswellworld.com. LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn profiles on us. On the company, they, we had some publications. Uh, or articles written on us. So there's some information or links on our site. What tab is that? Yeah, just go to the website and contact us. The best way to learn about us is to get a hold of us and we'll have a conversation. Like groundswellworld.com is the the corporate website. Uh, groundswellcard.com is where our card holders will go to log in. So there's not a lot of information on there, but get a hold of us. We're happy to have the conversation, but that's a the best way to learn more about not just what we're doing, but there's a team of people here uh, grinding it out behind the scenes. We've got Andrew and Ian and Karen and Jake and a bunch of people that are making this happen. Um, and any one of them could be a, a great resource or uh, just an interesting conversation. Amazing. Joe, Dan, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. I had I enjoyed it and I'm really, really, really excited for the future for Groundswell. Uh, I think you you guys already know how how I feel about you guys in the company. So I'm really looking forward to what you guys pull off. Oh, thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. It's a great opportunity for us to talk about what, what we're passionate about. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Changemaker Forum podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you did, it would be amazing if you shared it on your favorite social network, whether that's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or something else. So with that being said, stay tuned for the next episode. Bye.